everyone, and welcome to SACSA's To Practice, a practitioner skill building process for the field from two folks who don't know it all, but have and will continue to think a lot about it. Hi, everyone. My name is Miles Ferrat. I'm an Associate Vice President here at James Madison University in the Shenandoah Valley of the Commonwealth of Virginia, Kate. Not a state, Commonwealth. Commonwealth. I know it now. I will never mess it up. And my name is Kate Radford. I serve as the Director for Leadership Education and Development in the Center for Student Leadership and Engagement at Clemson University in the beautiful upstate of South Carolina. Got it? Upstate. I got it. I am familiar with that region. Get our language right here, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, um, just to catch you up a little bit in case you've missed or you're just joining us for the first time on the podcast, um, Miles and I used to work together in an office that was about half grad students and half full-time staff. And through the years, we spent a lot of time reflecting on what it meant to train those amazing grad students and how to prepare them for their first job and um, really discovered that we were the host for the practical experience for those students and bore a great deal of responsibility for making sure that they had honed and practiced and were ready to utilize um, some practical skills in the field. So this podcast is born of that realization. Um, we spent a lot of time, as I said, talking through that and thinking through that. And we are hoping that this podcast can be an opportunity to share some of those reflections, to continue to think about these skills for ourselves as practitioners and to give us a chance selfishly to sit down and hang out and talk still, even though we no longer have the opportunity to work together. So we do that through a grouping of seasons, um, each based around a specific skill. And this season, we are in the midst of talking about institutional politics. All right, but before we get institutional politics, we've got to get to a really delightful slice of everyone's life, pop culture, true or false, where Kate dazzles everyone with her deep knowledge of pop culture, and I have to dig really, really deep within the annals of pop culture history to to confuse her, Um, you know, um, such as who is Tom Holland, you know, things like that, that are real uh, real stumpers for uh, for many people. Still a little bit unclear on that, but mm-hmm. I'm working through it. Exactly. He's Spider-Man. And, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Among other things. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Kate, are you ready right. for this round of Pop Culture True or False? I am ready. Okay. Great. So, this time we're going to do, is this a real social media app? Okay. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you think you're ready for that? Well, I, d- I would just like to remind everyone that if I'm coming off a winning streak. Did really well last week. And so, yeah, I don't know this. Listen, if you're asking me how to like utilize the platforms you're about to say, maybe not like, but do I think I know at least that they are real or not real? Yes. I think I know that. Okay. All right. Well, let's give it a try. Winning streak defined as getting a three out of four right, which is what you did last time. All right. <clears throat> That's passing. First option here is Sina Weibo. Is Sina Weibo a real social media app? Would you like me to give you a description of what Sina Weibo is? I just need you to keep saying it. I don't even know the words that are coming out of your mouth. Listen, I'm not 100% confident on my pronunciation, and I apologize. Uh, I apologize if I'm getting that incorrect. So, um, Sinowibo is uh, one of the largest social media apps in 
China, uh, mainly in China. And uh, it is uh, fashion much like Twitter, um, but as Twitter is not allowed in China, uh, Sinowibo is the alternative, which is um, Imagine Twitter, but um, operating in China. Well, as you know, I would have to imagine Twitter because I am not on Twitter. So huh? this, is a, this is a double like stretch, right? It's like imagine yep. Twitter and then also imagine another country. Mm -hmm. um, to be fair, I do think I have a Twitter username. I just don't actually know how to log into it. Um, uh, let's see. I'm going to say, I just feel like this is too specific to be not real. So I'm saying true. This is a real app. All right. The hot streak continues. That is true. That is true. Okay. I think it is the second most popular app in China behind WeChat, which is a, basically a text messaging app. Um, okay. Hmm. You ready for your next one? I am. Yep. Okay. This one's a little hard to explain. So settle in. I'm going to do my best to explain it. Okay. Okay. You ready? You're ready. All right. So this one is called Be Real. Okay, so the way that Be Real works. Wait, just stop right there. It's this is true. I've seen this and it's so cool. This is the thing, right? Hold on. Can I explain it? Maybe this is the test for me. If yeah, I can explain yeah, it. I would I'd love for you to explain okay. it. Okay. Uh -huh. So the way I understand it, because at first when I saw it, I was like, why these pictures are terrible? But then I realized it's because it's like two pictures in one, right? So you're taking a snapshot. Is this the right thing? I hope so. Of a moment in a day, but it's it's like a dual screen. You're seeing what they're seeing and then you're seeing their reaction to it. So like camera facing you, also camera facing out. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, you're very close. So you're so you're saying that that is real. This is a real. Yes, yes I've seen it. Okay, all right. Yeah, so that is the way that Be Real works. So for any uh, of our fellow geriatric millennials or people who aren't on Be Real, um, it does. So it accesses both of your cameras simultaneously. You get an alert. Um, you do have to sign up for push notifications in order to really use the app, but you get an alert. And uh, when you get when you get the alert, then you're supposed to post during that like two minute time period. And you post uh, what you're seeing and then a picture of yourself as well. And the idea is it's supposed to be sort of an alternative to the highlight reel of Instagram. So you're supposed to be real in that moment. Um, you also, all of it is private. So you can't, there's no sort of public scrolling and you can't see anyone else's be real unless you post. Um, so yeah, oh. that's a, that's a real thing. It's been. I did not know those little extra tidbits you shared, but I did. So yeah, I did see this. I think our. Um, shout out to um, our orientation team here at Clemson. I think that they, some of the orientation ambassadors or maybe welcome week leaders. I don't know what some of them were doing it and posting some stuff. And it was very cool to like highlight welcome week. I mean, not to like nerd out and, you know, be like super like student affairs, -y, but I do feel like that is a cool, like student affairs, like highlight your department kind of thing. If you can make that work like day in the life, right. Kind of. Yeah. Uh I'm less sure about that, but um, okay. well, it was okay. it was a big part of orientation here as well, um, which is how I know about it. Um, there's I do have a be real. There's a pretty good chance that I will have deleted it by the time you're hearing this. Um, 
I'm not finding the content to be particularly compelling myself, but um, I did not know the piece about like, it tells you when to take the snapshot. I thought it was like, you picked a part of your day to highlight. So that is, that is a, a, a curveball. Well, and the fact that you can't see anything unless you post is basically like forcing your engagement, right? So you can sort of understand the strategy on how this app would be, you know, like successful. So anyway, yep. Be real. All right. Are you, are you ready for the next one? Um, I am. Yes. Okay. All right. So this one is called Carbon. So the way that Carbon works is it's a social media app that you can join and you basically uh, engage with it ba on sort of a baseline level where you list out your individual choices over the course of the day um, in terms of your travel, your uh, food eating, um, your um, choices about how you're like uh, consuming energy. So you like have that on sort of a baseline. You have some of that on a baseline level. So your energy consumption, your commute, but then you add in sort of the food that you're eating, individual choices that you're making to basically like uh, have a as low of a carbon footprint as you can over the course of the day. And then it's a social media app because you can have friends and then you're competing with them to have the smallest possible carbon footprint. Um, but it's also helpful because you can, uh, sort of put in individual choices you're trying to make over the course of the day to decide what's going to lower your carbon footprint or not. So that could be food or sort of um, like individual, like micro level things. Um, and yeah, it's pretty detailed. So yeah, that is carbon. Ooh. Yeah. Have used a website like this once where you put in a lot of like your like choices and like, but it gave you basically your carbon footprint for the year, not like on a daily basis. And I did that several years ago. And I feel like we've gotten more sophisticated as a society in terms of what we're able to track and stuff like that. So yeah, I believe we're to a daily carbon footprint app, social media tool. Mm -hmm. Yes, true. All right. So there may be something like this. And this was an idea that I had several years ago, but as far as I know, this is not real. And it's it's definitely not. I've searched in the app store. There is nothing called carbon. So, Miles, I feel like can we on air just like claim that claimed Miles claimed that app, so no one else take his idea. This really that should be a thing. From, this really came from I was trying to decide whether it was better for the environment in driving to and from Clemson, which is obviously not good for the environment, but. Uh, whether it'd be better for me to throw my gum out the window in a place where someone would never walk or whether it was better for me to put it in a piece of paper and then throw it away. Um, I, that, I still feel very vexed by that choice. And I would have really loved a place where I could have put that in. Out. You know? Yeah. Gotten some feedback. Yeah. You know, but yes, I think this could be cool. I think the problem that you'd run into is you sort of like gamified this is I just think there would be some people whose like life choices were like fundamentally making it where they would just like, win you know like if somebody mm -hmm. wants to work and it, are vegetarian it's like it's basically lights out you know like anybody who's yeah. who has to drive to work or even takes public transportation you just like can't that's true you just like that's can't true. but i mean i don't know it could encourage people to make like really big life choices in terms of some of that stuff it so could, yeah i don't know that people are you know that motivated by my made-up app but anyway yeah so could, that one, you could just change the world you don't know so that one is not real. So you're now okay. two out of three. So if you get this one right, we're back to your high water mark of 75%. Okay. Okay. Ready. Right. All right. So this one is called Bakes with a Z, capital mm -hmm. Z at the end. 
So imagine Pinterest, but specifically for bakers. So people are posting their, their recipes and it's a community for folks to specifically be able to engage over baking. Um, this is more of a browser situation than it is an app, much like Pinterest. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's bakes. I'm saying false on that only because your comparison to Pinterest, I just like don't feel like people are even using, like people are actually using Pinterest anymore. Maybe they are. I mean, I am, but again, I'm not exactly the, your benchmark on what people are utilizing these days. So I just feel like that's too specific. People are already not using a tool that like sort of can do that at a broader level with more applicability. Yeah, I'm saying false. It's not real, not real. All right, 75% again, Kate. I feel like you're really like settling into this. This was also like sort of social, but not really pop culture specifically. Yeah, we'll to, like really get into some Hollywood stuff next time. Um, you did force me to disclose to all of our listeners, though, that I don't use Twitter, which I feel like is, I don't know. It is embarrassing, probably. So why, is that, why is that embarrassing? That seems I don't know. I feel like that's like a very that's just like a, a social media. I just like never latched onto. I just like don't I don't think I understand not that I don't understand it. I get it. Like I'm, it's not that complicated, but I don't think I like really ever felt its power or understood people's fascination with it. Like we have a former colleague, Miles I do, who like was a Twitter diehard. And I, I don't know that I, that I ever fully understood. Yeah. I don't know either. Um, I'm looking, I don't see like a Kate Radford account Unless there's one that's, uh, this doesn't seem to be you, but I don't think you're Kate underscore Radford, whose uh, tagline is smile because it's worth it. But I I would like that to be you. Um, I don't know what that says about me that you don't think that's me. You are correct. That is not me, but. There's a Kate Radford that's a Melbourne based makeup artist. There's another one whose actual name is Kate Radford, but seems to call themselves the introverted activist. There's another one that's talking about membrane proteins. Um, yes, I don't you know. know what would be a fun game is to pull all those Kate Radfords and tell you that one of them is me and make you guess which one is me. Oh, I, I could definitely see you being really have have been gone deep on membrane proteins. That's that's what I'm that's what <laughs> not, not I, what I thought you were going to say, but all right, fine. That's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I am familiar with the Kate Radford Melbourne uh makeup artist because I think she's like actually a, like a pretty decent I don't know like she's on other stuff her name has come up in other like searches you know because we all Google ourselves every once in a while. Also, my maiden name for those interested is McCully. Um, and Kate McCully, uh, is an author who has like I think you know at least published some stuff because it often would be when I would Google my made a name that I would find her. And she also like, I think stole all the social medias when I was looking for them early on. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. mm. I've never read any of her stuff. Can't, can't speak for it, but mm, okay. yeah. Anyway, fun right. fact. How about that? Okay. How about that? Well, I think it's time as much as I'd love to continue talking about my lack of knowledge around pop culture. Um, we probably need to dive into our content for today. So 
on our last episode, we dove into working with and sort of navigating external constituents and understanding their impact on university politics. Um, and this week, we're going to talk a little bit about how to best navigate organizations and advocate from within them. Um, so, Miles, I want to start here. How, um, when you're thinking about navigating organizations and, and advocacy, I think a phrase that comes to mind for us as we've talked about this is building coalitions and how we utilize coalitions to navigate organizations and advocate within them. So how do you believe coalitions get built in student affairs? Well, I mean, I think that there's a variety of sort of, uh, I think you have to look at like why people build coalitions um, to think about like how it happens. So I think it's sort of a why and then a how. So I think the most simple version is through an established relationship. This is a person you know, you're just talking with them about something likely, or, um, you know, it could be like a totally mutually sort of spontaneously agreed upon thing. You're like chatting with somebody and you're like, oh, here's a problem that we're having, or, oh, here's something that we're hoping will happen. And it's like, oh gosh, we're thinking about something similar. Um, and I think that that's probably the most simple. It's probably the easiest to navigate. Not necessarily always the most successful. I think sometimes the like pro of that is that I think it like moves well. Working through that is likely um, like a positive experience because of this established relationship. You understand each other's like working styles and that sort of stuff. The downside to that is that I think sometimes you can end up sort of on a path that is like not integral to like how you're actually being evaluated by that sort of established relationship sort of uh like mutual project i think it can sometimes not be like sometimes those things can be like mission adjacent as opposed to mission critical um in terms of like how they're thought through um i think on the sort of different side of that i think a really really powerful concept that's talked about a lot in dei work but has manifestations in other places in terms of and, and that's specifically taught about talked about in terms of how you build coalitions, but is like true of other work as well is interest convergence. So for those who don't know that phrase, it basically means that like uh, your needs and somebody else's needs meet to create a bond. Um, I'm trying to think through like a sort of prominent example of interest convergence. Um, I mean, on like a most macro level the sort of like coalition of progressive politics in the united states is built around interest convergence you know like i would say that sort of the heart of progressive politics in this country are people with racially minoritized identities and like white people with college degrees and i think there is a connection there that is not always like all values have lined up in the exact same way um but there are sort of you know, like shared desires that are more significant than other things in terms of like how that can manifest on the college campus. You know, um, sometimes it's having like a mutual thing that you're trying to combat. So there may be like a pretty strong connection between um, uh, like a fraternity sorority life office and like a health and well-being office in terms of alcohol consumption and like trying to trying to sort of navigate what an alcohol culture looks like on campus. And because and those folks could or could not be sort of like naturally connected in terms of like how their personalities lined up or their values or anything like that. But 
what they likely do have in common is that both of them on a regular basis are getting this pressure to reduce this problem. And because that pressure exists, there is a, a higher likelihood of that working. Pro for that particular you know, kind of coalition building is, um, is that I think there's like strength to it because there is sort of this shared pressure um, to try to navigate that. And I think a con to that is that I think those, those uh, situations can sometimes like not be particularly natural. Um, those relationships may, you know, may not like sort of meld in the same way. Um, and because of that, I think that sometimes people bail on those things and they're like, oh, I'll just figure it out on my own. I'm going to keep working this problem because they're not really any help, you know? Um, so that's one. I think another one is like a passion project that's worthy of your social capital. So it's something that like you care about and you care about it enough where you're going to go out and like talk to people about it and get people on board. Um, and you're willing to say, you know, like, you know, I think a phrase that would be really associated with this is like the trust me, you know, like I, I can see the vision for this. I'm going to communicate around it, but at some point you've just got to trust that like we can actually bring this thing to fruition and make this happen. And then I think, uh, a related one to entrance convergence is the idea of like what I'll call like a dictated scramble. So you've basically been told like you've got to get together with this person to sort this through. Um, and that may not be something that you self-initiate. In this case, it's not something that you self-initiate. Interest convergence may be self-initiated. It may be like, gosh, I really, like, really got to connect with this office. We've got to be like in the same boat, paddling in the same direction. Dictated scramble, you're in the same place. But I think the sort of locus of where that is coming from um, is challenging. The passion project, I skipped over sort of pros to that. So pros to that, I think, is like um, there is this like well of energy that exists around that, that um, I think if, you know, if the if the person or the people at the center of that have enough of that, it's something that they can continue to continue to go back to as they're like working towards working towards and through really challenging things. Kind of that is that like, again, you could have some mission critical kind of concerns. This could be like a, you know, going off on a branch that you don't necessarily need to be on. Um, and then I think there's also for that, you know, for that particular issue, there is the like, what if the well runs dry, right? And then you've like put a lot of time and energy into it, but this isn't something that was like other people's thing. I think another downside of that is because you're out on your own on that if it if the vision does not come to fruition it can be you know damaging in a way that you're not going to see in other ways dictated scramble pro is that there's an established um like need for this and if you are successful in that way you know the the chance of being like recognized for that and um i think is higher even than something that you've like gone out on your own and doing kind of that obviously is like how do you, you know, there's no, you know, the well to start is very limited, you know, like it, if they're telling, you know, if folks are sort of telling you that you have to do this, there's, there's a real challenge, I think, in like how you get motivated to do it. Um, and, you know, and those rewards may not come. It could just be like, a, yep, you did what I told you to thank, you know, you know, sort of passing thanks and then, and then move on. So anyway, that's my sort of like, you know, like, my sort of list of like how these, how these things get going. Yeah. 
I love that. Actually, thank you. That was super helpful for me as I think through this. And I mean, I think you, I love the way you broke down sort of each of those, um, like the motivations and sort of the potential output, the pros and cons of that. That was, yeah, super, super helpful. Actually, I just took a bunch of notes as you said that. So, and I can think of times for me when I've been sort of in each of these types of coalitions. And I think you're pretty spot on with some of those pros and cons. Um, think, uh, I love, did you come up with that phrase of dictated scramble? Did you, did you, did you make that phrase up? Yeah, that was just fresh off the dumb this morning, Kate. So. Well, that is, that is real. I think that is often, um, a place I find myself in that is in the way that you described the, the frustration sometimes of that, or the, like the shallow well of that sometimes of like, you're being asked to do something is very real. I don't know that I've thought about it quite in that way, but, um, yeah, that just feels very different than something that comes from, you know, a passion project or um, even addressing a common challenge that I've come to as like, this is a challenge that we're both experiencing and let me have some um, sort of like agency in addressing this versus sometimes feeling like it's been put upon me. It's a very, very different feeling. And I think a very different approach has to be taken as you navigate each of those and and work to build build coalitions and see those coalitions through to addressing a change. So. Super helpful. Thanks, Miles. Yeah. One other thing that I just thought of in terms of the downside of of many of these things, but I think probably most acutely for the dictated scramble, the downside is like, what if this isn't a problem that can be fixed? Mm. You know, you've been told that you need to work this problem, but like, what if it can't actually be sorted out? Right. Or what if the attempt to fix it is actually like not systemically the way that it should be fixed. I think about mental health right now on college campuses, mm-hmm. you know, like I think if we are like my, my general thesis on that particular issue is if we are trying to fix mental health, I think we are like, for one, like losing that fight, but two, we have to like take a step back and that, you know, we're talking about significant resources, but we're also talking about like, how do we think about that from an appreciative standpoint? You know, like a dictated scramble is almost inherently a like depreciative kind of mindset yeah. you're starting from. And so I think that that is like inherently, it's not like, what do we want to happen? It's almost always, what do we need to stop? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that, you know, and all of those things have some of that in it, but I think for that one in particular, that's probably, you know, most acutely that way. So. Well, and you know what else comes to mind for me with that is that I think so often um, things that may have started as a like passion project Mm. end up down the road becoming one of these like dictated scramble situations, right? Like um, I think mental health is like a great example or like there's a ton of things I can think of on college campuses where people have had passion and energy to address them before maybe not before they become a problem because yes, there is some, like there's some common challenge in that, but people have wanted to address it and have spent significant time, energy, um, sort of like just, you know, their own time and like brain power on things. Um, and maybe haven't gotten the support needed to change some of the things at like a higher level, or maybe haven't, um, just been able to address that to the fullest and they may have hit a point where that well is empty and then it comes forward as like a okay now you like now dictated scramble and need to fix this thing and that well has been run dry right like I, I think that's true for a lot of 
areas, individuals um, with some aspects of DEI work. Like, I think it's like, I have worked on this, worked on this. Folks have felt like they've expended energy and, um, you know, like really given up themselves to, to work on creating more inclusive spaces. And then they're tired fairly. So, right. Like, and for, Mm -hmm. for a lot of good reason. And then, you know, there's a, there's a, some sort of crisis or some sort of very public issue. And then it's a dictated scramble to like, let's fix this thing in this moment. Um, And in that moment, I think what people sometimes underestimate if you're the person that's bringing that coalition together is like, you've got to unpack the work that's come into this to this point, right? Like you're not starting fresh. And if you try to approach pulling together a group of people or working to address a challenge and you treat it as if like, okay, it was a fresh start. We're going to work on this issue here together and don't acknowledge sort of some of the the work that's gone in and the the energy from other folks that have has already been spent on this um, and probably acknowledge where some of those roadblocks were and some of the things that prevented um, past movement, then I think you're setting yourself up to fail from the, from the start on that. Mm-hmm. Well, Kate, you're like one of the best coalition builders I know. You're like a legendary uh, like partner at Clemson. So what are some thoughts that you have? You know, I, I went through my things, you know, no pressure, you know, there, but um, you know, based on that lead in, but any, any yeah, thoughts right? you have that you nope. wish no pressure also no pressure that you had like such a great response and had all this like very thought out thoughtful um sort of uh structure for how you were thinking through this i had sort of a different thought related to this question i'm going to go in that sort of angle um as i think about like just sort of some of the maybe skill sets or some of the like attributes characteristics that i think are necessary or things we have to do to build coalitions and student affairs um I think maybe the first thing that comes to mind for me and the the most important thing is we have got to stop thinking that we operate in any sort of vacuum. Um, I think it's really easy in our work to um, sometimes think like, this is my function. We've talked about this, right? Like, this is my functional area. This is my focus. I do this. um, Like you've already pointed out in this episode, like tons of ways we've talked through the ways that our areas, you know, interact and common challenges among them and times that we maybe have common like that interest convergence piece or um are dictated to work together on something um it's just i think it's naive to think that we can exist in a vacuum um and if you've like established that right there are no vacuums we cannot exist in a vacuum like everything is impacted by other areas and we have to do this work together to make large systemic change um i think there's a couple of things you have to to then do um to be a good partner and um to develop strong coalitions and and move this work forward so i think at the core of that is building trust um i think one way that we quickly build trust in our field and this is probably true in other areas as well but i i feel it acutely in student affairs um is through information sharing i think sometimes there is like this um like scarcity mindset around like scarcity of information or scarcity of access to information and um, gatekeeping, if you will. Um, and so I think one of the ways that we really build trust is is to to like recognize that we're not in a vacuum and to get out and work with and understand and share information um, with other 
departments, other colleagues, whatever that might be. Um, I think sometimes it's like we're trying to hold our cards close or something. And I think there are times where that probably is necessary, but I think it is less often necessary than just being more transparent and sharing information that we have. Um, so I think for me, like the relationships that I can think about on campus that I've built coalitions, I think I have been able to be a part of it's because I've been sort of willing to share my cards and to talk about like what I know and ask folks for what like the information they have access to and um, do some checking, make sure that information is the same at times. Um, I think the other piece for me that comes to mind is um, just like the reciprocity of those relationships and and recognizing that it can't always be like one-sided, right? It can't be your passion project all the time. It can't be like your challenge that you're dealing with and you're trying to get people to come on board. I think you also have to be a person who um, has solutions and is willing to think through solutions and be creative and help other people with their challenges or help people with their passion projects. Um, I don't think we get anywhere if it's always like one-sided or maybe we get somewhere for a while, people are willing to help us. But at some point, that's not the reputation you want on campus, right? You know, the person that's like, they're always coming to me with their problem and help, wanting me to help, but they don't reciprocate that in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think finding ways that you can, um, you can reach out, broaden sort of who you're working with and to find places. I think, again, you pointed out so well, the like interest convergence piece and, um, finding places where there is that overlap and working together with people is, is super, super important. I think can't be really understated, can't be overstated opposite. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the, the sort of centering question that I may have mentioned on here before, but that I like oftentimes come back to that was shared with me by mentors, like ultimately what's the best thing for students. Mm-hmm. And like, let's not operate as if, and I think you do really well. I, I think that folks understand the sort of genuineness of your feeling and response about this stuff um, and are, you know, are good at really conveying that like, hey, this isn't a zero sum game. You know, like this is not a, you know, we're not competing for resources. We're ultimately like all working towards, you know, the best kind of outcome. And I think that that changes the way that we think about like what our roles are. You know, like our role is about, you know, like supporting students the best that we can. And it's not about like who has the biggest portfolio, you know, like, and it's not about like, how do we define our success? Not by like the number of like people in our space or, you know, like what, you know, like how are things actually working and like somebody else's success is also our success. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, we are, I say we, and I mean, Clemson, but I I mean, student affairs, when I think about that broadly, I mean, we're all, I think, understaffed, under-resourced, right? Like, so that mindset of like, this is my issue and I'm going to work on it alone or um, sort of like hoarding of information or hoarding of um, potential impact, I think is extra problematic when when we are in that boat of being under-resourced and under um, sort of staffed. Like we have, this is a way that we extend and like expand resources or um, like sort of uh, multiply the like impact we can have in with our effort if we are working with other people and thinking about some of these larger issues together versus trying to address it in our one little pocket. Um, And I think unfortunately we do that a little bit too often. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right to me. Well, um, it feels like we could have gone 
for a long time on this particular topic. Um, so maybe I'll, Kate, I think I'm going to skip ahead to our last question because I think yeah. we'll, like pull out that, that next one. So once you've built that coalition for change, Kate, how are you going to communicate around that in order to ensure success? Yeah. Um, well, I think one, you probably need not assume that everyone is going to be on board, right? So uh, you might have said, okay, this is necessary to bring people on. You might have a vision for what that change is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, I wouldn't, I would just strongly recommend not jumping to like action, right? Like, let's go, everyone's on board. Um, I think sometimes you're going to be moving towards a change that people are going to have thoughts about, feelings about. Um, people may feel frustrated by, people may feel confused about. Um, I think, you know, I gave the example earlier about like people may have, you may be the face of or a person that's trying to build a coalition around something that someone else has already tried to do that for or has put in that effort previously on. Um, and I think you've got to acknowledge sort of all of that. Now, that's not to say that I think you sit in that forever, right? <laughs> I have um, certainly been a part of groups where I feel like we just never got to action because we wanted to honor sort of some of that, those things I've just mentioned. And we somehow like sort of teetered into the side of now we're not doing anything. We're, we're sitting in this in too, too long. Right. So I think allow people to feel frustrated, allow people to maybe share some context of what has already been done. Um, do your best to explain sort of the root of the change. Like, why is this happening? Um, why is it important? Why are we like working together on this, but not sit in that? Um, I think the other thing that comes to mind for me is identifying as you're moving through change, who are those people that are disempowering that change? Who are the people that are intentionally or unintentionally being a roadblock or gatekeeping information or whatever it might be that is keeping us from doing that and finding ways to have some direct conversation with them. Now, I think that looks really different depending on who you're talking about, right? If it's a direct colleague, um, someone that maybe you've already done this work to build relationship with, to build trust with, like maybe that's an easy conversation. Maybe that's like a, hey, what is going on here? What am I missing? Hopefully you've laid some groundwork that makes that a little easier. Sometimes it is you're going to need to be identifying how to navigate someone who might in a hierarchy structure be above you, have more power than you, right? Sort of that managing up idea that there may be times where you're going to have to figure out how to get buy-in from people above you. And I think that that is, is a different question. It's harder maybe in some ways um, and probably requires you to think through that a little differently than you might if it's a colleague. But I think at the end of the day, it is, it's some of the same things. It's understanding what their needs, understanding their expectations um, and figuring out how you can sort of have a direct conversation about your sense that there is some sort of blocking going on and how can we work around that together? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that totally makes sense. I, I had thought through, you know, like you've got to be intentional in, how you engage in conversations with stakeholders. So like you're talking sort of about roadblocks and I'm thinking about it that way, but I'm more thinking about like holdouts. Um, so like the folks that are, you know, like the coalition has been built, you're moving forward with something, but you basically have, you know, sort of folks that continue to be frustrated about it for whatever reason. So how do you, 
how do you engage in those conversations in like a head-on manner, you know, instead of, um, instead of just like letting that sit. And I think that there's a really interesting balance and this is when, you know, change is happening. I've always, and, and you and I have talked about this before, there's such a, like a vexing thing about transparency and bringing people into a process, but then also having enough of a plan to stand on. And like how you, that is in my mind is like a seesaw that is very difficult to balance. Um, and I think it just depends on like the sensitivity of the situation. If we're talking about like people's jobs, salaries, et cetera, I think you like transparency is like, is less important than like having the plan set up ahead of time because you just like, that feedback process is like likely just not going to be super productive because it's too loaded um, for folks versus, you know, like versus a situation where, you know, like it may be about resources. It may be about, you know, like you can actually sort of bring people to the table, then you can tilt things towards, you know, towards transparency more. But, you know, as you're getting in with stakeholders, I think you have to be prepared. And this is the thing that I think about a lot is you have to offer your best stuff from the start. Like, don't, you know, like I'm like a not the more, a thing that I've learned in my career is like test balloons oftentimes don't work. Don't like float an idea that you haven't developed to see if people could be into it. Like actually think through, spend the time. Like if the idea is worth it, the coalition is worth it. Like think through what this is about and think through how you're communicating around that. But then also once you've done that, and you've kept channels open, you've engaged with stakeholders, you know that it's happening, then don't like shadow box a situation that you know that you're at like a debate that you're never going to be able to have. At some point, like the situation is what the situation is. And sometimes you like have to move forward. And that doesn't mean that you like don't care about people, that you're not hearing them out, that you're not engaging in that conversation. But there is a point at which you have to say, this is the direction that we're headed, staying in this as you were sort of like languishing is a word that I think happens in this stuff sometimes where, you know, we want people to be heard or we want, you know, we want the plan to be really great. But sometimes we lose all of the momentum in that process. Mm -hmm. um, and at some point it's like this is happening. We want folks to be on board. We're, we're working towards that. But maybe it just doesn't it just doesn't get there in terms of like everybody being everybody being in the process in the same way so yeah I had two thoughts as you were talking um and I don't want to forget them one is what you just said I think is so important about sort of spending the time to do that but also to like move forward but I also um think it's important to note that that is a time-consuming process right like I think sometimes we underestimate the amount of time that's going to be needed to um I think particularly around some of like even some, like the HR examples you're giving or like, a you know, like a reorg, I think is a really great example of this, right? If we have to make a change to a structure um, that has like real implications for people, there is a lot tied up in that, you know, people are, people care about their jobs or passionate about their jobs. If their job is being changed or the people that they're doing that job with or their focus, like all those things are important. And you're right. Like at some point that decision may have been made and it's something we have to move forward on. Um, but maybe this goes back to even some of what we've talked about, talked about in our supervision, um, season, but 
those things are like sometimes lengthy processes, like, and they take time and they're not the thing that you just like toss onto people on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock and say like, we'll chat about it on Monday, right? Like those are things that you need to be thoughtful about and how you approach them, how you have conversations about them. Um, so I want to say that. And then the second thing I wanted to add is, um, I, I think that test balloon conversation that you, or point that you made, I mean, I had the privilege of working with you for many years. And I think one of the things that I appreciated most about that is that you, you always were like such an idea person. Like you came in with thoughts, but they weren't, um, I think sometimes idea people are sort of seen as like, I don't know, like not fully like thought out in those ideas. Like it's like, they're just throwing things at the wall and you want to see what sticks. And I think what um, made you different in that is like, you had ideas, but you're right. Like you did not come in with like, Hey, I just had this, like, had this like little idea. What do y'all think? You came in with like, here's the idea and here's how I've already thought through it. And here's like what I think could, how this could move forward, what it could look like. Um, and I'll tell you as someone who was like in spaces with you on that, like, it's really hard to say no once you've done that work. Right. Like, and I think that that's a, I don't mean that as like a man, you had these ideas that I wish I could have said no to. And most of them, I was grateful in the moment that you had thought through them so thoroughly, but I think that's good advice for if you are trying to, um, push a change, move something forward that like, yeah, don't go in with like, Hey, I think we should do this. And here's some, like some idea of this or like a, um, like a too broad of a vision for what you're trying to do. I think you need to have like, have the, the first or like first one or two action steps ready so that it's like, you get people bought in and then it's like, okay, and here's where we're going or like, here's what needs to be done or here's what I've already thought through. Um, I think good ideas often die in like between the first meeting and the second meeting. (laughs) It's like, we have a meeting where we talk about it and it's like, that's such an awesome idea. Okay. Like we'll get back together and work on that. And the energy is gone. The like motivation is gone. Um, we like, just don't make time for it. And I think if you can come in with like, here's what we're doing, or here's what I'd like to see us doing. And here's how I think we can start getting there. And you can put people immediately into some action. Um, it's just so much more likely to, to, to to follow through and be done. So, well, and the challenge is everybody preps for that stuff differently, right? Like, and I am an external processor. And so like to have somebody to like bounce the idea off with, to just get like a sense, but you've got to, you have to be really, and and some folks aren't, you know, and if it's like sitting down and, and like sort of working it out through, you know, like on a piece of paper or like, however, whatever your creative process looks like. I mean, I think, I think it works differently for different folks, but if you do want someone to talk it through with, you just have to be really mindful about who it is that you're doing that with, you know, like test balloons oftentimes should not be floated to your supervisor, just as an example. Yeah. And they likely should not be floated to people that work for you. Like you've got to find the sort of, you know, like sweet spot of like, who is a, who is somebody that will help me think through this, but not help me think through this in a way that is like going to, create complications um down the road you know like how who can you have a hypothetical conversation with um and and there's a world in which and you probably do need to talk through those things with important stakeholders like in your line but you just want to be like a little farther along how can you get to sort of you know like this is this is the best stuff you know for this for this moment and i think that that's critical for you know for action and coalition building and like how we move forward with things so Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, 
How about some resources to share, Miles? Do you have anything around this topic or things we've touched on that you would want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think I would look at, um, you know, I the the term transformational leadership or, you know, or like transformational work is something that I think is, you know, oftentimes attributed to a bunch of different folks. But like the book that that came from is by James McGregor Burns, and it's a book called Leadership. And it is like one of the more, you know, like one of the more vital contributions to how people understand how people understand leadership. Um, and so if you want to think about like, how do you actually sort of navigate change and work through it? And like, what are the, you know, what are the sort of steps and personal things that you need to go through in order to do that, particularly the section, he's got different sections to that book, but particularly the section of that book on transformational leadership, I would recommend to folks. Um, and James Gregor Burns was a really good writer. And so it also like moves better than, than some other, um, books of similar content and topic so what about you kate well one i would just like to offer that i echo that that recommendation and emma emma james mcgregor burns fan so if there's a fan club out there i would like to be offered membership um secondly my um resource is also a leadership book, which makes sense in this building coalition, creating change piece. Um, mine is John Cotter's book, leading change. Um, you've probably seen it at your local Barnes and Noble or wherever you shop for books. Um, I think it's a pretty popular like business book as well. Um, it definitely, I think I've talked about it in, in this podcast before it definitely leans kind of business heavy. Um, but it's called leading change. And, um, what I like about it is it's a like eight step process for leading change. But the point part I would point you to um, for sure is his chapter on creating the guiding coalition. I think there's some good stuff in there about like, who do you need to bring to the table? How do you actually move change forward? Like who needs to be in the room? How do you get those people on board? How do you um, push out the people that don't need to be there that are blocking change? Or how do you sort of um, navigate them either by figuring out how to bring them in or figuring out how to work around them. Um, so there's some good, there's some good little nuggets in there. Well, awesome. Um, okay. So those are the resources. That's a, a big chat about, uh, about coalition building. Um, so that was great. Thanks to everybody for joining us for to practice, which is presented by SACSA. You can get more information about SACSA, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs on our various social media outlets, which includes uh, Facebook, which is facebook.com backslash Saxa fan page, on Twitter at Saxa tweets, on Instagram, Saxa grams. And don't forget to sign up for the Sax alert, which comes out once a month. And as I mentioned before, it's a really great non-invasive resource. It's really nice to work through. So that's more information about Saxa. Kate, anything you wanted to add? No. Well, yes. Did I see that some, again, this is going to be old news by the time y'all hear this, but I I saw that maybe some speakers have been announced for the conference. So get excited about those folks. I'm seeing some fun names coming forward. So just as a plug for the, is it annual conference? Is that the language? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. It's getting exciting. So just going to throw that out there, but again, maybe old news by the time folks hear this. So 
just know we were excited about it when we recorded. Thanks, Miles. Well, thanks, Kate, and thanks to everybody for listening.